evening. This is Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundant Success Series. Our primetime mastermind that promotes empowered focus, decisive action, and inspired outcome. Our spotlight is on health and nutrition. My guest is Dr. Johnny Bowden, a nationally renowned expert on weight loss, nutrition, and health. You've seen him featured on Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, as well as his contributing to Vanity Fair Online, Clean Living Magazine, and he is an editorial advisory board member for Men's Health Magazine. He's got a great new book called The Most Effective Ways to Live Longer. To find out more about Dr. Johnny Bowden, go to his website, johnnybowden.com. Fantastic information you can use. Let's get to it. Johnny Bowden, welcome to Building Abundant Success. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I've read your book, The Most Effective Ways to Live Longer. I think it's just fascinating. And I wanted to, first of all, uh, introduce you to the audience and let you talk to them. Tell them who you are, what you do, and where you're from. My name is Johnny Bowden. Uh, I'm a Ph.D. in holistic nutrition. I also have a master's in psychology. Uh, I am known as the rogue nutritionist because I bust a lot of myths, uh, <laughs> and I'm the author of 13 books, uh, a couple of bestsellers in there. One of them is The 150 Healthiest Foods on Earth. One of them is Living Low Carb, and hopefully the next one, which will be out in November, is called The Great Cholesterol Myth, and hopefully that will be. Uh, we're really hoping that will be a bestseller because we need to get this information out there so that people understand that we're treating heart disease all wrong. Uh, and that's pretty much uh, who I am. I've designed a, uh, a diet and uh, exercise program. I was original weight loss coach for iVillage and then for America Online. And uh, I've been involved in weight loss and health and nutrition and anti-aging and supplements for about 20 years. And my website is johnnybowden.com. Awesome. Um, we have functional medicine, but I wanted to talk to you about the conventional medical model why is that falling short, and why is that really not helping us these days? Well, you know, this is uh, conventional medicine, <clears throat> as practiced in this country, is just wonderful for emergency. And as I've said many, many times, if, God forbid, I'm in a car accident, don't take me to a herbalist. I want to go <laughs> to the best emergency room in L.A., Cedars-Sinai, you know, uh, take me right there. I want to be right there with conventional medicine. Unfortunately, conventional medicine is not very good at keeping us from getting to the hospital in the first place. It's not very wow. good at keeping us healthy. It's not healthy medicine. It's intervention medicine. Uh, and our model of treating disease is all about fixing the symptoms, patching that guy up so he can get back on the playing field, and that's kind of the way we've been doing it. And it's very, very ineffective for prevention. It clearly hasn't helped with things like obesity or diabetes, or things that are just spreading in epidemic proportions. Uh, and so we really don't have a very effective way of keeping people healthy and preventing them from getting in the medical system in the first place. And I think that's really the crux of the matter. How effective are the natural medicines and natural ways of treating, uh, you know, the common health ailments and problems that you've even mentioned? Well, it, here's the thing about... Uh, "Quote unquote natural cures." Uh, I wrote a book on that as well, and mm -hmm. I, I it, the book started with a thirty-minute, uh, thirty-minute, excuse me, thirty-page essay on what it really means to talk about "quote unquote natural." These are not either-or situations. Uh, when we talk about natural medicine, such as 
vitamins and minerals and amino acids uh, and and uh, skin brushing and uh, infrared saunas and meditation and 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 acupuncture and all these various things that don't involve pharmaceuticals. We're talking about supporting the body's natural ability to heal itself and to produce the chemicals that we need to fight a lot of the diseases that we get. <clears throat> I've, I've often said, for example, depression is not a Prozac deficiency. Heart disease is not a Lipitor deficiency. You don't get heart disease because you don't have enough Lipitor in your diet. <laughs> so <clears throat> what, what I think we mean with natural medicines and natural cures is not so much that we're going to throw out everything we've learned in, in pharmaceutical medicine, but that we're going to supplement and amend our treatment of the whole person so that we can give them the kind of fuel that they need to run their bodies efficiently, the kind of nutrients that they need to make the kind of biochemicals that we need to run, you know, to have a healthy mind and a healthy body. And it's about using these kinds of things, food, uh, um, uh, chemicals from plants, you know, phytochemicals and flavonoids and, and flavanols and all the magnificent things that are found in the food kingdom to sort of support health and and to design and to and to create a body that is going to be much more resistant to these kinds of diseases of aging that we see that are so rampant everywhere. And again, this is not to replace medicine. For example, some of the greatest things that have happened in conventional medicine are things like antibiotics, penicillin, insulin. I mean, these things are, you know, life-changing. They're, they're, they're just, you know, blockbuster, game-changing things. We don't want to go back to a time when we have that. On the other hand, we've medicalized every condition. We're treating numbers now, not people. We're treating cholesterol levels. We're treating um, bone density scans. We're not treating the actual person or the condition. We're treating numbers. And that's a big shift in the way we practice medicine and healing. And that's a big, big shift. In um, medical uh, journals as well as uh, you know articles I've read in books, they talk about the role of inflammation and disease. And in your book, you talk about the four uh, horsemen of aging. Oxidative stress, inflammation would be the second one, glycation, the third, and stress, the fourth. Can you talk a little bit about this and what we're reading? Can you explain these terms? I certainly can, and I'd be happy to. And it's kind of, uh, I think, probably the most important thing we'll talk about all day. When I was reading the research, copious on aging, on aging well, on healthy uh, centenarians, people who routinely, you know, in areas in the, uh, around the globe where they routinely live to 100, and they don't live to 100 as in, in assisted living homes. These people are out there milking cows at age 94. They're, they're climbing up the hills of Sardinia, herding sheep. I mean, they're really active people in their late 90s. Um, and, and there are certain corners of the world where they seem to have a, a disproportionate number of people like that. And there's a lot of research on those places. One one popular book is called The Blue Zones. It just looks at what these people do. Um, and there's all sorts of other studies of aging, the Baltimore Longitudinal Study, the Nun Study. So you read all this stuff and you say, what do these people have in common? Like, what is what what is the stuff that seems to uh, give them that added advantage of living so long and so healthily? And what are the things, and, and, and the, contra- the, the uh, other side of that is, what are the things that kind of cause us to break down that don't seem to be happening as much in these, in these areas where they live so such long, robust lives. And what I what I found, what became very clear was, and, and I gave it the kind of, you know, clever nickname, the four horsemen of aging. What I found is that there's four basic processes that are involved in every disease. And these, these processes,
processes are like the Pakistan, in the, the tribe, the Pashtun tribes in Pakistan. They don't respect national boundaries. Nobody ever told them that Pakistan and here and India starts here and, you know, they just wander around and they do whatever they do wherever they do it. And these processes are the same thing. They are not specific to the heart. They're not specific to the brain. They're not specific to the muscle. They, they basically do their mischief everywhere in the body and when they do it, in the vascular system, we have heart disease, and when they do it in the brain, we have dementia. And basically, they run around doing this mischief everywhere. And these are really the processes that we should be focused on if we want to improve health and, and expand longevity. And I call these the four horsemen of aging. Here's what they are. Number one with a bullet is inflammation. Uh, now, we can talk about these separately. I'll give you the overview first, and then we can go into them. But inflammation is number one. It is a part of every degenerative disease known to men. If you do autopsies on patients with Alzheimer's, you see inflammation. If you have heart disease, there's inflammation. If you have joint pain and 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 um, and, and arthritis, you've got inflammation. Uh, so inflammation is a huge part of all of this. And um, this, the second of the four horsemen of aging is oxidative damage. Pre-radical damage is basically, uh, oxidative damage is basically damage done to your cells, your DNA, your skin, um, and, and just about everything in your body that is caused by these kind of rogue molecules called free radicals. And when we take antioxidants, what we're basically doing is getting an army of chemical compounds that can help fight this damage. Now, <clears throat> you want an obvious example of oxidative damage, uh, look at sun damage. And, and look at your skin. Look at the kind of wrinkling. And this is all oxidative damage. Your oxidative damage plays a huge part in that. It, a, a good example is if you cut up an apple and you leave it outside in the sun, it starts to turn brown. That's oxidative damage. You leave a bunch of metal out in your in your in the rain without any protection, starts to rust. That's oxidative damage. That happens to our cells. It happens inside our bodies. It happens to our skin. And that's also a huge part of every single disease that we know of. So we've got inflammation, we've got oxidative damage, and then we've got something called glycation, which is basically, uh, the shorthand for this is sugar. Too much sugar causes all kinds of problems in the body. Uh, the sugar gloms onto protein molecules that make these sticky little toxic substances, then create more oxidative damage, more inflammation, uh, and this is a huge risk factor for just about every disease you can think of. And finally, the fourth horseman of aging is stress. Plain old stress. It's not the kind of stress where you think it's all in your mind. It actually has significant physiological properties. Hormones are released. Those hormones have, have messages. They do things in the body, and every one of them is negative. Every one of them ages us, and every one of them makes uh, recovery from disease longer, if not impossible, and can even trigger outbreaks of particular So we've got stress, we've got sugar, we've got oxidative damage, and we've got inflammation. Those are the key processes. That wow. Now, that's a, that's a mouthful. <laughs> um, I'm wondering if someone's listening to this now and they have not gotten mm-hmm. the book, uh, mm-hmm. what is some, what are some things, maybe one or two things people can start to do to offset these four horsemen? Well, let's start with inflammation. I mean, an anti-inflammatory diet is the basic, most simple thing that you can do to fight inflammation. Now, let me let me be clear about about inflammation because there's a lot to say about it. There's really two different flavors of inflammation, and most people who are listening to this may be thinking in terms of 
the first flavor, which is acute inflammation, which everybody knows what that is, but that's not the one that kills us. Uh, so let me make a distinction between those two. We've got acute inflammation. Anybody's ever had a toothache? You know what that feels like. You ever had a, a, a joint injury or, you know, you're aching back? Uh, you know, you, you want to take some uh, NSAID, some anti-inflammatory, you know, uh, over-the-counter stuff like Advil or Aleve. That's inflammation. We all know what that feels like. You even get a, a an abscess in your tooth or you get a, an asthma attack or you have like a big pimple on your face. It's inflama- Those are inflammation that we all know. And it's a pain in the butt, but it doesn't kill you. The kind of inflammation I'm talking about, talking about the four horsemen, the four horsemen of aging, talking about uh, something that's part of heart disease and Alzheimer's and cancer and obesity and diabetes and everything else that you don't want, that is called chronic inflammation. And the danger with chronic inflammation is that it flies beneath the pain radar. You don't even know what's going on. It's in your body. If you're breathing, you've got inflammation. That's the kind we're talking about. That's the kind you won't know of. It's just like high blood pressure. It has no symptoms. Sometimes the first symptom of high blood pressure, unfortunately, is a heart attack. It takes place in your vascular system take place in, everywhere. And when I talk about an anti-inflammatory diet, I'm talking about um, attacking that kind of inflammation because that is the kind. As my friend Barry Sears, the author of The Zone, says, acute inflammation hurts. Chronic inflammation kills. And that's what we're talking about. Anti-inflammatory diet. Um, can you explain what an anti-inflammatory diet might consist of that you know, people, some, name some foods people might eat on a regular basis and name some other things they should actually include with those things. Well, wild salmon would be at the okay. top of the list because of its omega-3 content. And omega-3s are probably the single most anti-inflammatory compound or molecule on the planet. Certainly, uh, number one with a bullet on my top supplements take, largely because uh, of their tremendous ability to fight inflammation. And the reason that that's true is that our bodies make inflammatory compounds, and they make anti-inflammatory compounds. And the fact is, even though inflammatory compounds, you might be listening and going, what do I need those for? Why does my body make those? Well, it's actually part of the way we heal. When you think about it, if you get a splinter, or you get a you stub your toe or something, and it gets all red, and it gets all swollen, that's a lot of blood and a lot of immune system cells, like macrophages, all of that stuff going down to the site of the injury, surrounding the site of the injury, fighting off microbes, trying to prevent anything from spreading. So that sort of inflammation is actually necessary. We need that. So we make both inflammatory chemicals and we make anti-inflammatory chemicals. And for human health to really be optimal, those two things need to be in balance. Our American diet, what, what you know, affectionately known as the SAD diet, standard American diet, has a proportion of about 20 to 1 in favor of the inflammatory. And that's a very bad thing. Um, Omega-3s are the bricks and mortar, if you will. They are the building block of the body's anti-inflammatory army. Omega-6s, which are vegetable oils, all the crummy, you know, corn oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, soybean oil, canola oil, all the ones you've been told are so healthy, those are pro-inflammatory. The body actually makes inflammatory compounds from omega-6s. Now, it doesn't mean omega-6s are bad. It means they need to be balanced with omega-3. And our diet is about 20 to 1 in favor of omega-6. So we are an inflammation factory. It's as if we had two armies. We need those two armies to be equally funded. We're funding the inflammatory um, army with billions of dollars, and we're giving a few dollars to the anti-inflammatory uh, army, and that's not a good thing. 
that's why the uh, dietary intake of omega-3s is so critical and that's why we need to do it with both food and with omega-3 supplements. After wild salmon, which again is a wonderful source of omega very there's also lots of other things um, there are uh, things in the plant kingdom called uh, flavonoids and some of these flavonoids about 4,000 of them and, and, and more than has been studied but there are some outstanding members of the flavonoid family that are very anti-inflammatory one of them in particular is called quercetin and it's loaded up in apples and onions so both apples and onions are very anti-inflammatory foods papaya is a very anti-inflammatory food Pineapple is a very anti-inflammatory food because it contains bromelain, which is an enzyme which is very anti-inflammatory. So there's a lot of these natural anti-inflammatories in the plant kingdom, and we can incorporate them in our diet and go a long ways towards reducing this inflammatory state that we're in. Um, there's also things that we can we can we can lower in our diet. Eat less uh, omega-6 vegetable oil. Stop with the canola oil and the corn oil and start using things like coconut oil and olive oil and macadamia nut oil. Um, so we want to, again, we want to redress the balance between omega-6s and omega-3s by using less vegetable oils and more of, uh, you know, more omega-9 oils like olive oil. Um, and we want to, at the same time, build up our anti-inflammatory um, armies with more omega-3-containing foods such as wild salmon, flax. I wanted to know about the powerful plant medicines, and do you recommend them, and what do you recommend? Well, let's say there's a couple right off the top of my head that I, I can point to as being, and these are far from a complete list, but let's take the spice turmeric, which mm-hmm. is a the spice that makes Indian food yellow and gives the yellow color to things like curry. Now, in turmeric, which is a, a spice that I gave a star to in the 150 Healthiest Foods on it, because even in a in a collection of star foods, it's a superstar. Um, and the thing about turmeric is it contains an active ingredient or a, a group of ingredients called the curcuminoids, which are collectively known as curcumin. Now, curcumin may just be one of the most important uh, supplements you never heard of, and you will be hearing of it a lot in the next few years because there's a ton of research being done on it. And it affects so many different metabolic pathways in so many different positive ways that we could do an entire webinar just on the subject of curcumin. Um, this is highly anti-inflammatory. It's a powerful antioxidant. It has anti-cancer activity, and it's very good for the liver. So you take a curcumin supplement that are available uh, not even through health professionals, as a lot of these supplements are, but right in the store. Cherry Naturally is one example. You can get that almost anywhere. And it's a very high-quality curcumin. It's very absorbable. Uh, they have various uh, products. Uh, Terry Naturally does curcumin products that are mixed with other anti-inflammatories like Boswellia. They can be used for, for the pain of arthritis, for the pain of... I use it on the tennis court with my buddies all the time, and they can't even believe the pain relief they get because of how anti-inflammatory this is. And this is a plant food. This is found in turmeric. And you, yes, I think it's great when you get it in a supplement because you get a much higher and much more clinically meaningful dose. But basically, it's just a concentrated form of something that's found in the food turmeric. A second example of mm-hmm. something found quite naturally would be cocoflavanol, dark chocolate. Now, there's a number of things. I mean, in, in a way, the whole dark chocolate issue has reached a tipping point in terms of research because one study comes out, it almost seems to me like every other week I get a, a newsletter, uh, you know, from, from one of the 
journals or one of the peer-reviewed um, uh, publications that I, I read regularly, uh, a new study on uh, chocolate and longevity, on, on, on chocolate and blood pressure. On uh, dark, and Remember, we're talking now only about dark chocolate because dark chocolate is where the healthy flavanols are found. There's, there's zero in white chocolate and very little in milk chocolate. So we're talking about dark, high cocoa dark chocolate. But cocoa flavanols have been found to lower blood pressure. Now, um, we have been, as a nation, focused completely incorrectly, in my opinion, on cholesterol. And all we do is try to lower cholesterol. You talk to people about heart disease, and the first thing they'll tell you, there's not a person in America that doesn't know their cholesterol number. It's fairly irrelevant and fairly meaningless. Blood pressure is not. And uh, that's a pretty serious and important risk factor that should be paying attention to. And cocoa flavanol is lowered. And they also can be gotten if you, if for any reason you don't like dark chocolate and, and it's not very sweet. So it's an acquired taste. It's very, very healthy, very good. You don't need to eat a lot of it to get the benefits. One or two squares a day is all you really need. But if for some reason you don't like that, even those are available in a terrific supplement that you can get like, you know, in the mall. It's, it's Cocoa Well, it's called. And it's, you know, a, a strong concentration of 450 milligrams of cocoa flavanols, which really have been found to have tremendous health benefits, particularly in the area of blood pressure. So these these are two plant things right off the bat. You know, the spice turmeric and its active ingredient curcumin, and dark chocolate with its active ingredient cocoflavanol. And two things right there that make a real big difference in, in, in your health. In the news now, they talk about superfoods. What are your favorite superfoods? Well, I, again, I think wild salmon is definitely at the top of the list because of not only the omega-3s, the wonderful source of protein, but also because it's got a terrific antioxidant in it called astaxanthin, which is what gives the uh, salmon its pink or reddish color. So I'd call wild salmon a, a superfood. I'd call grass-fed beef a superfood. Um, and, and let me make very clear that I am not talking about supermarket meat or feedlot meat or factory-farmed meat or McDonald's meat. I'm talking about grass-fed pasture-raised meat. It's a whole different animal. I'd call that a superfood. Certainly, I'd call uh, blueberries a superfood and cherries a superfood, uh, dark chocolate, uh, red wine, garlic, um, you know, again, the spiced turmeric. These are all things that I would, I would think would absolutely be a pomegranate juice, green tea. That's kind of my go-to list right there. And you're also a fan of the omega-3s. Can you talk a little bit more about omega-3s and how they help us? Well, again, as I said, we have, we have, uh, a series of, we have chemicals that we make in our body. Uh, they're called prostaglandins. And they're in, they come in three series. Prostaglandins one, series one, series two, and series three. Um, one of them is anti-inflammatory. One of them is inflammatory. Now, where do they come from? How do they get made? They get made from raw material. The omega-6 are the raw material of our inflammatory chemicals. The omega-3s are the raw material from which our body makes anti-inflammatory. So if omega-3s did nothing else except fuel the anti-inflammatory factor in our body, it would be good enough reason to consume them on a daily basis. But they do so much more. They have been found to lower blood pressure. They get into the cell membrane, making it easier and more fluid, making the, the membrane fluid enough so it's easy for information to get in and out. They've been studied for their effect on mood, which they improve significantly. It's been found that, that there is a way higher risk for behavioral problems, attention problems, acting out problems, ADHD, you name it, 
in people who are very low in omega-3. Uh, it's been found to help with eye health, with brain development. So, so omega-3s are just your go-to number one supplement for just thousands of reasons. I was wondering about uh, your, your mentioning of the oxidative stress, but uh, antioxidants are important. How important are they, and where do we get them in everyday uh, shopping and whatnot? Well, antioxidants are, you know, uh, a, a, well, let's define what they are, first of all. It, it, we talked about oxidative damage, and that's the mm-hmm. kind of damage that we see in an apple if you cut it and leave it out in the sun, or if you leave some metal out in the rain and you get the rusting, that's all oxidative damage. Antioxidants basically donate uh, one of their electrons to to these rogue molecules, molecules called free radicals, thus basically uh, make, rendering them impotent. So they, it basically uh, antioxidants basically are the are the fighting army, the sentries against this kind of oxidative damage. And many vitamins, many minerals, and many plant uh, chemicals, phytochemicals, if you will, um, have strong antioxidant properties. Vitamin A, vitamin C, one of the, you know, the great antioxidants of all time. Vitamin E, the mineral zinc, the mineral selenium, um, CoQ10, coenzyme Q10, a powerful antioxidant. Uh, the two plant things I just mentioned, uh, curcumin and cocoflavanols, very powerful antioxidants. Quercetin, the flavonoid that's found in apples and onions. So there's, you know, all the plant kingdom, and to some extent the protein kingdom, if you will, is loaded with antioxidants. And you can't really swing a rope and hit a fruit or a vegetable without having a powerful group of antioxidants in that food. So the more colors that you eat, um, you know, a nutritionist once when I was in school in the very, very beginning used to have a, a saying that I, I still remember. It's like, if you want to give a client a very basic, easy-to-follow piece of advice, shop for color. The more color on your grocery basket, the better off you are. Because the, the uh, chemicals that give blueberries their blue color, the pigment, the, the chemicals that give raspberries their red color, these things are called anthocyanins, and they're very powerful antioxidants. They actually help the plant itself fend off pesticides and oxidative damage and all the things that it encounters when it's growing in the garden. So they do the same thing in your body. So uh, antioxidants are widely available, and they're, you know, in fruits and they're in vegetables and they're in some protein foods, um, and they can be gotten as supplements. You can get uh, a regular multiple uh, vitamin uh, that has a number of antioxidants just because some of those vitamins that are in a multiple are antioxidants. Or you can get a special concentrate of antioxidant specialty, you know, special antioxidants that are kind of front-loaded in a supplement where they might have some green tea extract and some extra zinc and selenium and, and um, uh, a lycopene, which is found in tomatoes, and, and lutein and xenoxanthin, which is found in spinach. And all of these antioxidants can be combined in various antioxidant formulas that you can get at the health food store. I wanted to go to the antioxidant CoQ10. We hear a lot about CoQ and ubiquinol. Which mm-hmm. do you prefer, and what are the differences between the two? Uh, okay, well, I think uh, many re- many listeners might not know that distinction you just made. CoQ10 comes in two forms, mm-hmm. ubiquinol and ubiquinone. <laughs> I know this right. sounds technical, folks, but really, basically, the CoQ10 we have known and loved and studied in thousands since 1974 has been, you know, approved in Japan as a drug for congestive heart failure and 
is just one of the, you know, a potent antioxidant, potent fuel for the heart is the ubiquinone form, and that's been out for as long as we, you know, as long as I've been in the field. More recently, they have found another form of CoQ10 called ubiquinol, which the pro- promoters of which uh, claim it is better absorbed and more potent. Um, that may be. Um, I think it's most important that people just take CoQ10 and whatever form they can get it in. Yes, if you have a choice, you might want to go with the newer form, the CoQ10. Uh, ubiquinol, but I have not been, I haven't, I haven't seen anything really powerfully convincing that one is that much better than the other. Okay. And another antioxidant, carnosine, I was reading about that and blood sugar, you know, in the glycation section of the book. Can you tell mm-hmm. everybody what the, this uh, antioxidant can do, not only for yeah. blood sugar, but overall health? Yeah, well, we think that carnosine has a reputation as an anti-aging nutrient, and, and here's why. And by the way, let's everybody be clear that there's a difference between carnosine, which is what we're talking about, and L-carnitine, which is a whole different thing. Uh, we're talking now about carnosine, S-I-N-E. And carnosine is an anti-glycation agent. That means it helps to uh, fight the damage that happens when blood sugar is high and, it, and, and some of that sugar gloms onto the proteins sticking together and making things very sticky and, and making it difficult for blood to circulate through small capillaries. This is one of the reasons why, by the way, the diabetics have so much problems with kidneys, eyes, and big toes, amputations, blindness, kidney problems, because when that sugar attaches to protein, it, it's like sticking cotton candy in your gas tank. And all of a sudden, something that was smooth, like a tadpole, becomes sticky like, you know, as if you spilled some honey on, on, you know, on your silverware and all of a sudden, you know, something that used to just sort of sit in the hand, it's all sticky now and, and tacky. Um, that's what happens. That's what's called glycation. And that's one of the four, four horsemen of aging as well. Carnitine helps prevent that. Carnitine is an anti-glycation agent, but it also has a number of other benefits of being a very powerful antioxidant. And for all these reasons, some of the uh, tests on carnitine have indicated that, you know, it makes skin look a little bit better, and it, it, it just does, it goes a long way towards uh, kind of preventing some of those signs of aging, particularly the ones that are associated with glycation, which, again, is too much sugar in the system and the damage that it wrecks. Okay. Now, what are your top supplements, and what would you take if you were stranded somewhere on a desert island? What, what, what do you take? Well, I take about 50 different things a day, so I'm not the best example, but I'm often asked by, by more normal people, like, okay, I'm going to take six or seven things. What should they be? And, um, you know, my whole theory as the rogue nutritionist, and from what I've been writing for the last, you know, since my first book in 1990, I have always maintained uh, that the principle that should guide us completely in this kind of a endeavor is biochemical individuality. There is not one diet that works for everybody. There is not one set of supplements that works for everybody. People have different needs at different times in their lives, at different stages. They're under different levels of stress. They're pregnant. They're athletes. They're middle-aged. They're teenagers. All of these people and all of these individuals have different needs, and one size does not fit all on any level, whether we be talking about supplement programs, diet programs, or dating match sites. It doesn't matter. There's no one formula that's going to work for everybody. We have different tastes. We have different hormones, different metabolism, and while we share many things in common as humans, we are also very, very unique. So that said, um, I don't think that there's one supplement program for everybody, but I will tell you the ones that I think have the biggest 
bang for the buck that are going to help the most number of people in the most number of situations. And uh, for me, that would be, well, we'd start with a multiple because it just fills in a lot of the gaps when I tell you the other five or six that would be on my desert island list. Um, <clears throat> you still need to get some of the things that you might not want to take as a separate one, but that would be found in a multiple. For example, the mineral selenium. It's just absolutely essential, but you don't really need to take that as a separate uh, a mineral. You can you can get that in your multiple. Folic acid, absolutely essential, but you can get that in your multiple. So I would start with the multiple. The second thing without without question would be an omega-3 supplement. That can be fish oil um, uh, or it could be flaxseed oil. However, if it is flaxseed oil, you need to take a little bit more of it than you would take if it were fish oil. Um, but these are two wonderful sources. My particular, you know, it's okay to say brands. Again, I don't own any of these companies, but if I'm walking into the store, I'm going for Barleen's when it comes to Omega-3s. They are, in my opinion, the best. They're available everywhere, very high quality. You can't go wrong. Uh, number three, vitamin D. Uh, in, this is a nutrient that very few people get enough of. Um, there's been some very bad reporting on studies that make people, you know, that, that have left the impression that we really don't need any more than about 600 IUs, absolute balderdash. Uh, I, I, I could go on, on on this for an hour, but uh, I I personally take 10,000 IUs of vitamin D a day. I don't recommend that for everyone just because I want to be safe, and, and, and even though there isn't a single study anywhere showing any toxicity at that level in human beings, let's be a little more conservative and say 2,000 IUs. Everybody needs more vitamin D. And certainly not the amount that you get in a multiple. And um, so I would definitely add vitamin D as as one of my top desert island supplements. It it has now been found to affect probably a hundred different conditions. And there are very good studies showing that low levels uh, uh, there are higher rates of cancer, uh, higher rates of multiple sclerosis, um, vitamin higher higher levels of vitamin D are associated with better physical performance in older adults, uh, better mood, uh, ease greater ease with Losing weight. I mean, there's, there's just not a condition that hasn't been impacted by this vitamin. So, uh, again, multiple number one, omega three number two, vitamin D number three. Number four, uh, number four and five, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with, again, um, curcumin and cocoflavanols. Uh, curcumin because it affects so many different metabolic processes because it is anti-inflammatory, because it is, um, antioxidant. Uh, because it does support the liver and therefore detoxification. So I would definitely go with curcumin. Again, my, my favorite brand is Cherry Naturally, but, you know, get that's just my personal opinion. Um, then I'd go with cocoflavanols because I love the blood pressure lowering thing, and I think that is so very, very, very important. So if you're not eating a couple of squares of dark chocolate, high cocoa dark chocolate every night, I'd, get, I'd go to the store and get something like Cocoa Well, which is cocoflavanols in a capsule, and I think that would definitely be, you know, my... My, uh, what, what are we up to? Four and five? Mm-hmm. And then six, I think, resveratrol, which is known as the anti-aging nutrient. That's the stuff that's in red wine. That's the stuff that's been linked to, to longer lifespans in just about every species that's been studied. It, it hasn't been studied. Uh, obviously you can't design a study with, with humans over the course of 70 or 80 years and see which ones live longer. But in every species that has been studied, and that starting with, you know, yeast, going to fruit flies and all the way up to these monkeys, um, resveratrol has, has been shown to um, turn on longevity, and it's a very powerful antioxidant, and it's a very uh, it's just good on so many different levels. So resveratrol would be in, in that list as well. 
And I think that would be uh, maybe green tea extract. And that would be probably my basic go-to list. I'm going to throw something in there. You're talking about health and longevity. Exercise has to be in there somewhere. And yes, I you didn't ask me about it. Yeah, but yes, indeed. I wanted you to talk a little bit about the importance just for the layperson who may not be the athlete or might not get mm-hmm. out there three or four times at the gym or, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you that. Well, let me just put, put it. It's probably the best anti-aging drug we have. I mean, if there were a drug that had the proven benefits of exercise, uh, you you would have people lined up if if, if if they could afford it or if their health plan would afford it and it was $100,000 a year, you'd have people lined up to take it. The the things that exercise has been shown to do on just about every level you can imagine um, dwarf anything that any drug ever invented does. So there's no doubt in my mind that this is possibly the most potent intervention anybody can do in their life to extend life, extend the quality, you know, improve the quality of life. Uh, it's associated with lower rates of depression, lower rates of diabetes. Um, there's, a, there's studies from the University of Michigan, Arthur Kramer, that show that even moderate to brisk walking three to five times a week, 40, 30 to 45 minutes a time, actually grows new brain matter. Actually, gray, gray matter in the brain, the volume actually increases. So there's just nothing exercise doesn't do. The only problem, my myth-busting approach to, you know, the exercise thing is, it's not a great way to lose weight. Now, I know that that is considered heresy. But the data is very clear. It's a very weak link between if you're trying to lose 20 pounds by, you know, going for a walk or you're, you know, doing your 20 minutes on the treadmill, it's just not the most efficient way. It doesn't tend to do that. Diet is far more effective as a way of losing weight. What exercise does do is it makes it healthier and it makes it easier to keep weight off. And it may assist a little bit with the weight loss process, but it's way overrated as far as a weight loss methodology. And what we need to understand with exercise is there's a difference between exercise for weight loss and exercise for good health. You really, to, to get your risk factor, you know, in, to go up a couple of, of, uh, of uh, one-fifth percentile in terms of lowering your risk, to, you know, to go down from, the, say, the top 20% risk to the bottom 20%, what you got to do is walk. And all you got to do is do that like five times a week. So walking will, will give you tremendous health benefits probably won't make that much difference to your weight. So as long as people understand that there's a difference between the kind of training people do when they're really on a weight loss program, they're doing high-intensity stuff, they're doing long stuff, it's a very, very different kind of an approach. You talked about athletes, you know, training for an event, training for a marathon, training for um, a bodybuilding contest, very different than just training to get your heart healthy and your brain healthy and your mood improved and the kinds of things that are um, easily uh, achieved by just a moderate amount of uh, exercise every day. doesn't have to be complicated. Wonderful. wanted to know, what are your uh, natural, uh, uh, you know, prescriptions for weight loss? You know, weight loss is a big industry. Everybody's trying to lose weight. Um, well, we, we spent the better part of last year creating a uh, diet program, uh, and I, I hesitate to call it a diet program because it's really a life transformation program that has weight loss as its number one side effect. It's called Unleash Your Thin, and it, uh, it, you can read about it on my website, johnnybowden.com. And what we did with this was not only put together a program of uh, an eating program, but we uh, put together something which I have never seen really incorporated in a weight loss program before, but it's the essential part. It's the part that people miss, and it's 
part that sabotages everybody. And mm-hmm. that's the psychology of it. That's the part that deals with craving. That's the part that deals with feeling deprived. That's the part that reaches for the bonbons when you have a fight with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your daughter or your son or your boss. And the part that when you're frustrated and you can't, re- you just can't resist that Krispy Kreme. That's the part that we don't address. So we go through these diet programs and everybody, you know, as best they can, they grit their teeth and they hold on by willpower and they manage to cut out the carbs or whatever they're trying to cut out and they may lose a little bit of weight. They gain it back because they haven't addressed that basic deep-seated relationship with food. And in our program, Unleash Your Thin, we tell you exactly what to eat and what not to eat, but we more importantly also tell you how to reprogram your brain so that these cravings will not be great. And I think if you don't address that part of it, your weight loss attempts are, you know, they're, I don't want to say they're going to be doomed, but they're just going to be cravings and, and these compulsions to eat the foods that we know are bad for us are just going to continue to come up and continue to overwhelm you unless you really spend some time working on those. Okay. I like how your book says, play more, love more, do more, the most effective ways to live longer. Is there anything mm-hmm. you wanted to add with what you've already told us? I think the one thing I want to add, besides food, besides exercise, besides supplements, you know, and and hopefully we didn't touch on this, but, you know, sleep is such an important part of this. Stress management is such an important part of this. The one thing I'd want to add to leave people with is that in all the studies that have ever been done on healthy older people, people, as I said, in the blue zone, where they're in their 90s and they're doing active things, they have never found ever a healthy centenarian who's living in isolation. Scientists would love to find some guy like the Unabomber up in Montana in a cabin <laughs> who's 100 years old. They don't exist. Right. And here's why. The one commonality of every one of the populations doesn't matter if they're vegetarian, if they're meat eaters, all these differences exist. The one thing that's common to every one of them is they all have social. They are all vital parts of their community. They all have face-to-face contact with people they care about. They make a contribution. They may have, it may be Sunday potluck dinners. It may be charity work. It may be gardening as a group. It may be square dancing. But they're connected to people for whom they matter and who matter to them. And without, that seems to be, by and large, probably the most protective thing you could do for your life is to form lasting and important contacts and communication and connection with other human beings. And, by the way, with animals or with anything, anything you care about and that you can take the attention off of yourself and give to something else, whether it be an animal, a plant, a family, a charity, it doesn't matter. And to the extent that people do that, they are really taking out a good life insurance policy on themselves. <laughs> awesome. You can reach you at johnnybowden.com. Thank you so much for being a guest with us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.